1: you know you're successful as a league when you've conquered all possible horizons out there every demographic you've got them in you've got the number one watched female demographic because taylor swift is hanging out of a suite at your game in kansas city next week she's going neutral but she's there for the jets chiefs all the ladies of the world are watching so what's the other horizon we can conquer i know let's get children Watching the game early in the morning on a Sunday. Not going to church, staying home to watch football. How are we going to do that, the NFL said? Well, we're going to make all the players Toy Story characters. And they're going to be in Andy's room and we're going to show you the game as Toy Story. And that's exactly what they did. It's like the NFL is just saying now, let's just throw something to a wall and see if it works because everything plays and everything makes money for us. And this is yet another example. By the way, I'm Chad Withrope. This is Hot Mike. And if you have not seen it, the clips yet, I um, don't know how many of you watched it, but the NFL yesterday with their London game between Jacksonville and Atlanta decided to play out the game as toy icons in Andy's room from Toy Story, and people ate it up yesterday. I did not watch any of this live. I was actually at church at this point and did not see it. I did go back and watch clips from this when I got back um, I'll be completely honest, and I, I don't think of myself as old or any of that. I understand the attempt. I, I don't know how this is any better than a child watching the actual football game. I don't know how this really draws anyone in. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm completely wrong on this, but I didn't find this that interesting at all. With the Toy Story game yesterday that was on Disney+. Plus. Davey, did you enjoy this? I did not enjoy it. The main
0: takeaway that I had from this was that they had Booger McFarland on the call. Yeah. And you look back a couple of years ago and Booger McFarland's on Monday Night Football. And so, kind of felt bad for the guy that this is what he's having to do at this point. I, I thought Was it
1: Jason was, Witten unavailable for this since he also he, got knocked uh, off that broadcast? He's,
0: he's still coaching, right?
1: Hey, Jason, uh, yeah. I know that you know we had a rough one year with you on Monday Night Football, but would you come back? To called this game in Andy's room between Jacksonville and Atlanta?
0: I, I thought it was neat looking at the split screen of the game live and then how they made it look animated. I I, I thought that was interesting, but as far as just sitting down to watch that, I, I wasn't going to the – if there were two things that I was like, oh, it's neat that they incorporated that. So instead of having refs out there whenever they needed to the spot, spot the ball, they had the claw, if you remember from – I think that was Toy Story 2 or 3 – can't, can't exactly recall on that one. But the claw would just drop the ball where it needed to be. And then instead of having the uh, – this is actually more efficient than the way they do the chains now for every 10 yards. But they had the slinky dog. If they needed to back it up, like if it was second and 15, slinky would back back up like five steps. And that would determine yeah. the d- distance to well,
1: go. Look, I, I mean, I, I judge everything, if it's hitting with kids or not, by my own kids' reaction. And my 8-year-old daughter did ask last night, can we watch Football Fun Day? And I kept asking, "Why?" Well, I don't even know what that means. And she said it's on Disney+. Plus. And I'm pretty sure that's what she was talking about. Because I went there and the first three shows were the game from that morning as Toy Story characters. So, look, I'm clearly not the target demo for this, much like you know, women being the target demo for Taylor Swift being at a game. But apparently it works. It, it hit with the kids. So, who knew that could be a thing? Who knows what's going to happen in the AFC South? Also, you've got four teams right now at two and two, four weeks into the season. And Davey, I look at all four of these teams, and what we thought in the preseason about who was rebuilding and who you know is not going for it right now, who shouldn't be going for it right now, and maybe should be rebuilding. That was the thought on the Titans. Jacksonville was the clear favorite coming into this season through four weeks. It's anyone's guess. I have no idea what's going to happen when you look at these four teams all tied at 2-2. Two and I two.
0: Yeah, mean, in a way, it's like week zero all over again for these teams, uh, just starting from square one. I, If I were to put money on it, I really – like, I would just stay away because I don't trust any of these four teams. You look at – we'll say Jacksonville is the favorite heading into the season. They've definitely shown reasons for concern. That defense is not one that's going to be able to hold up well over the course of the season. Uh, Calvin Ridley had a great game one. I know he had a touchdown in this game, but he's not exactly – turned into that number one threat for Trevor Lawrence to always be able to go to. And then if I'm looking at, we'll say Indy and Houston, both starting two rookie quarterbacks. And then I, I thought for the most part, they've, they've impressed me compared to what I thought they were going to do good. moving forward. And then the Titans play well at home, but they have looked pretty rough on the road. So is that a trend that's going to continue? Uh, there's a lot to be desired from this conference, but I, I could still see at this point, the winner
1: of the AFC South having a losing record. So, speaking of losing record, we know these two teams that we're about to talk about are going to have a losing record at the end of the year. At least we assume that will be the case. Both 0-4. Carolina Panthers, Chicago Bears, which leads us to the question of who wins first between these teams. We know what happened yesterday with the Bears. Complete collapse, up 21 points against previously winless Denver. Carolina blows the lead and loses to Minnesota. Um... Looking at the games coming up, the Bears have the Commanders, the Vikings, and the Raiders. Carolina, while having a week seven bye, will play the Lions, Dolphins, Texans. Davey, if I had to guess right now on who wins first, I'm going to go Bears based on their schedule, but I really don't know. I'm not sure. Both teams are bad. This is
0: this is a pick your poison right here. I don't. I don't know why we're doing this now. Um, I would say the Panthers win first, but I think it's going to be a situation where Andy Dalton actually has to come back in.
1: You think Andy Dalton's their best chance to win R- right now? Yes. Now they're not going to
0: bench Bryce Young, but again, I'm still got questions about his frame. He takes one hit the wrong way. He's going to be hobbled for a bit. So, I w- I would put my money on the Panthers in this situation. The best chance, though, if, if you're looking at it, like, I don't think it'll happen because I think these next several days are just going to be awful for the Bears given how things transpired at the end of the Broncos game on Sunday. But Washington's probably the most winnable opponent, but I just don't trust Matt Eberflus at all. I, I feel better about Frank Reich and Bryce Young than I do Matt Eberflus and where this team's at. I mean, the other thing for the Bears is they're just telling players that are healthy scratches just to stay at home. It's like, we don't even want you around the program?
1: Yeah, that's not good. Not good at all. And, yeah, again, it's one of those that um, I've I've long said. It's almost equally impressive in the NFL for the team that tries to go undefeated and and accomplishes it, which almost never happens. The team that can go undefeated in reverse is also difficult in the league where everyone's designed to go 500. So kudos to the team that goes 0-17 this year. And we might have one of them. Uh, between those two teams so far this and year.
0: It's just crazy, too, going back to the Bears, the fact that Justin Fields has his best game as a pro where he throws for over 300 yards, four touchdowns, and yet they still find a way to blow a 21-point lead and lose. Like That's just it's almost unheard of in the National Football League that you can have something go so well and yet still be so incompetent, you ultimately come away with an L.
1: Time for a little college football overreaction, Davey. You've got some items that we can get into about overreaction from this past weekend and some of the results. I I do, but I'm just going
0: to pose this question to you first, Chad, just kind of going back off of this. So play the game, start, bench, or cut. Okay. I got three quarterbacks for you. Number one, Justin Fields with the Bears. Number two, you've got Zach Wilson with the Jets. And then number three, I'm going to throw in, who should I throw in on this one? I had the question, and I lost it. I'm just going to be fully transparent with you on that. Sam
1: Howell? We'll
0: throw Sam Sam Howell in I don't think that was the one you had. Um, Was it another rookie? Let you you all in behind the scenes. No, I think it's all players that it it wasn't their first year. Maybe it was Desmond Ritter. I don't know. They're all bad
1: options. Yeah, start bench cut with these three. Uh, In this case, I am going to start Sam Howell, bench Justin Fields, Oh, Zach Wilson had his best game yet, even though he had the big mistake last night. I'm going to go start Sam Howell, bench Zach Wilson, cut Justin Fields, based on what I've seen. Okay. All bad, though.
0: All bad options. I would be cutting Zach Wilson and benching Justin Fields, just hoping that I get a coach that can actually tap into his talent. Because... While the passing ability is uh, subpar, to say the least, at times, I know this past weekend was the exception to that, that rushing ability is just something I would want to be able to utilize. So
1: The lesson here is, Davey, when you have a good idea like you did earlier, write it down. Write that third it's, option it's down. It's true, yep. You had two of the three. You I, got I wrote jot the question down. The down.
0: Third. I know, man. It sneaks up on you.
1: The good news is you did write down some great college football overreactions from the weekend that you have for us right now. I do. And so to get
0: us started, Chad, kind of starting the conversation earlier today about who's number one. Georgia does not deserve to be number one. Is that so, an overreaction? Or is that yeah,
1: legit? it's an overreaction. They deserve to be number one. They're the two-time defending champion. Look, if we're going based on results in 2023 alone, probably not. There's been teams like uh, uh, Michigan, even though their schedule's been weak, that have looked more impressive in their wins than Georgia has so far. But I kind of like the fact that college football does legislate a bit on history. And it's not just this season. It's the end of the season before. It's your program's vitality. It's your program's history that all factors into these decisions. So, given the fact that Georgia has won two in a row and they're going for three straight, I think it's an overreaction to say they should not be number one right now. They're the number one team until proven otherwise. They survived a test on the road. They didn't play very well. Auburn had chances. But they come out on top. So, I'm going to go – Overreaction to say Georgia does not deserve to be number one. Now, if it's solely this season alone, which college football does not, not do, and they don't do it that well, yeah, you can make a case for Washington being more impressive, for Texas, for Michigan, and for some others. But I'm going to say in this case, I'm fine with Georgia being number one right now.
0: As of today, October 2nd, 2023, it has been 667 days since Georgia last lost a football
1: game. And if Georgia keeps playing this way, that number's going to go away, and it'll take care of itself, and they won't be ranked number one at some point soon. But for now, leave them at number one. Totally fine okay. with that.
0: All right, Chad. Next up, Notre Dame is the best one-loss team.
1: No, I, I don't think they are. And I, I would have a different answer if Notre Dame would have gone, and after getting a 10 nothing lead in that game, taken control and handled Duke, um, that was way too close, the way that game started. Notre Dame's got some issues uh, offensively, and I don't think I'd be saying that with Sam Hartman in the start that he had. Defense looked good, again. I think offensively, they leave a little bit to be desired, especially deep down the field. And I think Jaden Greathouse is going to be a really good receiver for Notre Dame. But I'm going to say no on that one. Give me Bama. Give me Utah. Give me Oregon State. Hell, give me Ole Miss right now. I think you could put a, make an argument for all of those teams with one loss being better than Notre Dame right now. If I had to just take one and say I believe this team would beat this team head to head with one loss, it's Bama. Bama's better than Notre Dame, and I, I. Sorry, Notre Dame fans, that might suck for you to hear, especially given the last time you two played and the way it looked on the field in the national championship game. But it's reality. They've got better players. They've got more NFL players. They're figuring out who they are from an identity standpoint and how physical they want to play. They've got better running backs. They don't have a better quarterback. Sam Hartman's the better quarterback than Jalen Milroe but I think Bama's probably the best one-loss team in America right now. Okay, Notre Dame is the highest-ranked one-loss team. They're 10th, but Alabama
0: not far behind at number 11. Next up, the Pac-12 is the best
1: conference in 2023. This is not an overreaction. This is fact. Um, and I, I – Hats off to SEC fans for not fighting a losing argument right now. I'm not hearing a lot of clamoring from SEC fans about, oh, those teams aren't any good. Oregon State, Utah, they're not physical. They're not good. No, they're being quiet on this. Why? Because SEC fans know what superior football looks like. They see it every single year, except this year. So they know what it looks like when they're the best. They usually are the best. They have been for the last 15, 20 years in most seasons. They're not this year, and SEC fans know it. Why? Because SEC fans know what greatness looks like in college football. I'm not seeing it this year, nor and are SEC fans. The Pac-12 has it. That's a great conference this year.
0: I, and I would say one of the main reasons for that is I think I would take five quarterbacks out of the Pac-12 before I would take the top quarterback in the SEC. And just like off the top of my head, Caleb Williams, obviously, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., uh, Shadur Sanders, and give me Cam Ward. Big, big believer in him.
1: Yeah, I think when you get to Shadur Sanders, Cam Ward, or Jaden Daniels, it's close. But, yeah, it, it's, it's a better quarterback lead, no doubt about it, especially at the top in the Pac-12. All
0: right. The next conversation, speaking of quarterbacks in the Pac-12, but it's Caleb Williams will repeat as the Heisman Trophy winner.
1: No. Michael Penix Jr., the name you have to say slow to make sure you say it correctly, is the Heisman Trophy winner. I said it preseason. I will say it again. That guy is a dude, and he is playing like one this year. And that offense is fun to watch. It is precise. He can hit the deep ball. He can hit intermediate routes. Great in the short passing game. Smart player, at quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., your Heisman Trophy winner, not Caleb Williams. And finally, Chad,
0: something we've seen a lot this year, I don't know,
1: Alabama will win the SEC West. I'm going to say yes. This is not an overreaction. And look, we're all guilty of letting history play a part in our arguments with anything in college football. Nick Saban is F-bombing people again on the sideline. That happened in their game against Mississippi State. That video now is viral. The fact that he is screaming and cursing and F-bombing his assistant coaches into the headset and turning to the sideline and doing it, Bama is back, baby. Nick Saban's not retiring. He's fired up. He's ready to go. This team has found their quarterback, albeit it's not always going to be pretty with Jalen Milroe They know exactly who they need to be to be able to win games in the rugged SEC, and even with it being down, it's still a rugged conference and tough to win games in this conference. Alabama is going to win the SEC West. They're going to face Georgia in the SEC Championship game. That is what's going to happen. And I've seen enough now from Alabama's improvement to be able to say so. It's going to be fun to watch either way, though. Hey, Ryder Cup was fun to watch at times, especially fun to watch if you're a European watching this show right now. Mark Harris, he's American. He's going to join us next for Mouth This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrell. We're back, Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton will be back with us on Wednesday. So every time I watch international competition, in anyway, I kind of tell myself, you know, I'm not going to get emotionally invested in the outcome, and that's just not going to do it. Not going to happen again. And every time I start to watch, I automatically start to get a little bit angry when the American side is not doing well. And I watched uh, quite a bit at the Ryder Cup. Over the weekend, early morning, even on a football fall weekend, made it possible to watch and then watch football all day after. And it was not a good weekend for the Americans at the Ryder Cup. Mark Harris, he writes about a lot of things. Golf, one of them, for Outkick.com and does a terrific job. He's on with us right now to recap exactly what happened outside of Rome for the Americans at the Ryder Cup. Mark, welcome in, man. Appreciate you doing this.
2: Thanks, Chad. Great to great to talk, talk a little golf with you.
1: Absolutely. So where did things go wrong uh, for the Americans? I know there was talk of them fighting illness on, on day one, but it was really just a terrible start for the Americans in this, in this uh, contest.
2: It went wrong. Um, as soon as they stepped foot on the property on Friday, basically, um, you go over four and foursomes and you can't dig out that hole. And, um, all the credit in the world needs to go to Luke Donald, the captain of the, the team Europe, um, you get to, as a home team, you pick if you want to go foursomes or four ball. In the uh, opening session, he chose foursomes. Um, the U.S. in the last two Ryder Cups overseas had a 2-12-2 record in foursomes. <clears throat> and he recognized that the U.S. team doesn't have those dogs in the back where they have that underdog mentality, for whatever reason that might be, that they don't want to dig out of a hole. So he said, we're going to put our big boy pants on. If you want to come get it, put yours on. And they go 0 for 4 on Friday. Um, then in, in the Friday afternoon, um, you blink and it's six and a half to one and a half after the opening two sessions. And like I said, they just don't have, for whatever reason, they just didn't have any drive to want to fight. Then they come in late on Saturday, kind of have some inspiring play down the stretch. And it felt like they picked up a couple of points in the standings, but all they did was draw the whole day. So you start Sunday with five points down. It's there's, there's too many t- top dogs in the Europe, not enough on the U S kind of bottom half. And like you said, the illness thing. Who knows if that was true? Um, that was quite the uh, statement to make after team goes and lays an egg on Friday morning. Um, yeah, just it was just uninspiring. That's the word I keep going back to.
1: How much of this falls on on Zach Johnson? And, and, and just it, overall, do you feel like the captain gets a little bit too much of the credit or blame at times in the Ryder Cup over the years?
2: Yeah, for sure. I, I kind of put a bow on it and wrote about kind of some final thoughts from the week. And that was kind of one, one of my points. And that's just, you know, sports fandom, sports people that, you know, watch this. Um, you got to react to something. And the, the captains of the Ryder Cup, both sides, good and bad. We just kind of over inflate that for whatever reason. It's It's been like that for forever. Um, Zach Johnson isn't the one hitting the golf shots. Um, he's putting some pairings together or whatever, but he's not out there missing putts. On Friday morning, you had guys chunking it into the water. You got some skanky chips from Scotty Scheffler, uh, probably one of the best short games in the world, the number one player in the world. Uh, Zach Johnson didn't hit in the golf shots. Um, but a lot of the blame has to be put on him for his Friday morning pair, pairings. To start the Ryder Cup, you're trying to break a 30-year streak, uh, lose, losing streak in Europe. 1993 is the last time you went over there. And the pairing you bring out right out of the gate is Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns, who is a rookie. Um, The first four matches, you don't have Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. The two guys you've been going to work with, your your inspiring captain's pick was Justin Thomas. He doesn't see the course until Friday afternoon. Um, If you wanted to kind of send a message like, hey, I'm back in JT, and he's the inspiring guy on the team, he's going to get into it with the crowd. He's going to bring that from the jump to not have him play. Or Brooks Koepka, that's the same kind of guy too. He can be at least. He doesn't play Friday morning. So you know, hindsight twenty twenty. If you know they go out and flip the script, and it's three one after Friday morning, we're not talking about this. But it was, yeah, it's just not, it's not what I would do, and whatever anybody else you talk to, it was the uh, the wrong wrong decision, both analytically and just on paper.
1: Mark Harris with Outkick uh, He's written about the Ryder Cup from this past weekend. Covers a lot of things for the site. At it's Mark Harris. It is Mark Harris uh, on X or on social media. Mark, who is. Who was the most disappointing member of the U.S. team this weekend in your eyes?
2: Well, it's easy to point to Ricky Fowler, but you go back to that sickness thing, it's kind of the rumor out there that he might have had the bug the worst. Um, he only plays two matches the whole week. But I think you have – it's got to be Scotty Scheffler, right? He's the world's number one player. He doesn't win a match. Um, on Saturday morning, they go out and four ball him and Brooks Kepka and he beat nine and seven. It's the worst loss in Ryder Cup history. Um, and four ball and you you can't have the world number one in a five time major winner going against granted Victor Hovland's arguably probably the best player walking the planet right now. But his teammates, Ludwig Alberg, who's a Swedish kid that was playing college golf at Texas Tech six months ago. Now, the guy looks like he was built in a lab to play golf. He might, you know, he's tabbed as the next great European, but you can't have your two dogs come out there and just lay that kind of a, a goose egg, going not, losing nine and seven. Um, yeah, it, it goes to Scotty Scheffler. Jordan Speith was bad too. Uh, people say that he probably shouldn't have been on the team. He wasn't, you know, he was he was bad. Um his Ryder cup record now after after um this weekend is now a losing record. Um he's you know part of that boys' club with JT, so he was there. He can he can bring that fire, but there was no Spieth magic like we saw at whistling straits last year and years past, to where he can kind of bring that juice. And it was just again, just uninspiring to where. Yeah, the, you can't have Scotty Shuffler and Jordan Spieth not win a match and uh, expect to even be close to the Europeans, and they weren't.
1: We've really seen guys over the years varnish their reputation in, in this contest and help themselves. And then suddenly they have a reputation for being a dog on the course because mm-hmm. of how they perform at a Ryder Cup. Who were a couple of European guys that really jumped out to you that helped themselves in this contest?
2: Yeah, the the one that comes to mind is Tyrrell Hatton. Um he's he's obviously a well-known guy. He's won on the PJ tour. He's won on in Europe a while. Um he's been kind of a I, I guess last Ryder cup was his first, but he's he's one of those guys that's just super steady, you know, top 10 player in the world. Um he he wins three and a half points um for the week. I think he finished in a tie for second for most European points. Um he's he's one of those guys where you could look back, and like you know, he he keeps building confidence as as these years go on. And like you said, the Ryder Cup can really build it um, for the Europeans, for especially at that, that side of things and how, you know, you keep this streak going and all this kind of stuff. You want to point to Tommy Fleetwood as a guy that uh, got a little juice from this. Even, you know, he hasn't won in the United, he hasn't won in North America. He doesn't have that PJ Tour win, so who knows what that brings to him. But he's he's certainly a stalwart. I don't think he's lost in the Ryder Cup. I think he's either drawn or won every match he's, he's played in, um, or uh, singles-wise at least. So he's, yeah, those are two guys that kind of come to mind. And on the U.S. side, it's it's Patrick Cantlay and Max Homa. Um, obviously, Patrick Cantlay's kind of been a silent killer for years now. He's got a FedEx Cup under his belt. Uh, no majors yet, but it's always been, you know, when, not if with him. And kind of Max Homa's in the same boat. But those two guys were the only pulse that they had Saturday and Sunday, it felt like, um, for the American side.
1: Let's look ahead now. Two years from now, based on what you saw in, in this one, what should the Americans be focused on, whether it be the combination of players playing together or, or whatever it is? What should they focus on?
2: I think it's super simple from the jump. I think you have to look at this schedule setup that we've had this year. Um, the PJ Tour ended, the FedEx Cup playoffs ended five weeks ago, five weeks before the start of the Ryder Cup. The only two guys, to my recollection, that played a competitive round of golf in that five week span was Justin Thomas and Max Homa played in the Fortnite championship a couple of weeks ago, kind of a false swing event on the tour. Um, but the Europeans, their season was still going and all these guys, most of these guys, you know, the 75% of them were still playing golf a week, 10 days before the, the opening tee shot at the Ryder cup. So you knew that they were in form they were playing well, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, all those guys were playing and they were playing very, very well. Ludwig Auburn won a couple of weeks ago. Um, so they had some juice going on their side to where it's not, they didn't have that that lull to where you kind of had to wake up as, as weird as that sounds when you've got 60,000 people looking at you throughout our cup, you have to wake up. But these guys were already kind of in that mode of being playing competitive golf for the past few weeks. And it, it just doesn't make sense to me how that's okay from the PJ of America or PJ Tour side of things. Like if you if you think about it, would would Brooks Kepko or Scotty Scheffler take five weeks off before they showed up to a major championship. Like if we're going to hold this Ryder cup, hold the Ryder cup to that kind of standard, let's maybe get the easy part off part done and get the schedule working in our favor to where you can at least have some guys playing golf or if they try to, you know, break a 30 year streak or, you know, go overseas to try to beat these guys. It just, that's, that's number one for me. Uh, and hopefully we see a change like that to where we can make it a little bit more, I don't know, competitive at least going into it, it's a little bit easier to kinda of, kinda of analyze.
1: I'm always amazed how seemingly, you know, in a gentleman's sport, these guys can sort of turn on and turn off the hostility uh for, for this this competition when they go against each other. Brooks Kepka had some things to say about John Rahm, you know, being a child. Uh, do they legitimately not like each other at times during this? And is it easy to flip on and off or Have you seen times where there's been lingering hostilities and could that be a thing moving forward now?
2: Yeah. Brooks is kind of the outlier where he's just, you know, King troll. He's, he knows how to stir a pot. Um, You know, he posted that photo yesterday of some guys and live gear. He just stirs the pot a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Rory macro over the years, you know, the famous one a few years ago where he drops a bomb of a put on Patrick Reed and he goes crazy and it was an American Rider cup and Patrick Reed shushes him back and, you have that kind of stuff, but it is super interesting to where they can just flip that switch to where like they look like they want to kill each other after they make a putt and then they can just turn it off. And we saw that, you know, this weekend with Cantlay and Rory McIlroy and Cantlay's caddy, Joe LaCava, Tiger Woods, former caddy, um, getting into it even, you know, Rory was still heated in the parking lot, leaving the place. Um, Bones had to get in, JT's caddy, Bill Mickelson's former caddy. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that genuinely in the moment, I think Rory McIlroy was very, very mad and he kind of apologized. Like that wasn't cool as far as bone stuff goes. Um But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that they can, like you pointed out, that they can flip it off and on Um even Justin Thomas, you know, he gave it all, all Sunday. Anytime he did anything, he was doing the imaginary hat, hat tip for Patrick Cantlay and giving it back to the crowd. And then, you know, as soon as he walks off the the final hole, he's just, oh, you know, I'm a freshman golfer. That's just kind of what it is. But there's that mutual respect, I think, at the Ryder Cup to where the fans can do whatever they want, the players can do whatever they want. It's just all fun competition and uh, a little bit more fun for the Euros this time around.
1: No doubt about it. Mark, you mentioned the photo from, from Kepka What is the latest? Walk us through that, but also what is the latest with Live PGA, you know, merger happening, how all of that is going to look moving forward? It's a story that's definitely gone on the back burner since that happened uh and everyone was mad at jay monahan in the beginning of it but what is the latest with it
2: right uh i wrote about it yesterday the answer still is kind of who knows um who knows about kepka's photo they could have just been having some fun at kind of the after party um these guys win or lose they they have a large after party after every writer cup they even a couple of the, i saw a couple of the wives of the americans were hanging out in the euro party just a big party afterwards so who knows if uh that was a sober photo taken, um, but yeah, who, I, I don't know what the photo is, you know, and then nobody knows what the future of live technically is um, with this merger coming up and they want the deadline to be at the end of de- at the end of this year, at the end of December to kind of get something, you know, really concrete here. Uh, the PJ tour is merging with the Saudi Arabia investment fund, which in turn is live golf, but it's, you know, two kind of separate entity kind of deals um, where we don't know what live looks like live could still be separate they could kind of do this thing where we just we don't have these answers to it at all um, we know that they're going to have a for-profit entity that they have not named yet saudis and the PJ tour at least that's you know the plan right now but uh the answer and i'm, I'm sick of saying it but the answer is kind of who knows it's just it's a guessing game until Something falls, which it feels like it's been going on for years now, but it's only been a couple months.
1: One last thing for you, Mark, on this one. and and you know taking the uh, all the obvious topics that we've all discussed, ad nauseum, the sports washing, everything else that goes along with this, and taking the well, what elements of live is going to enter the PGA tour, where what is an area that just money would help that you watch the PGA tour and how it's conducted or whatever happens and you think, okay, with Saudi Arabian money, they could help out this aspect of it. Is there anything that needs improving that you see that this influx of cash now could help?
2: This this may sound like a simple answer, but I think it's the TV broadcast. Like, if you watched the Ryder Cup this weekend and were active on Twitter during any of, I mean, it was it was horrific how bad the coverage was at some points. I mean. It, at some point during Saturday's action, when all that stuff was going on, and Patrick Cantlay was going down the stretch and single-handedly beating Rory McIlroy, well, behind that was the Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas match, and it went 50 minutes on the broadcast without showing a single shot of that match that was absolutely still up for grabs. and the other two they kept showing were essentially over, and we go 50 minutes without it. They have this the playing through thing on NBC and USA was just a train wreck. You've got guys like conceding matches when there's a commercial going on next to it about going to buy the, the next Pepsi and then you've got uh at one point on on Friday you know they have the scoreboard in the bottom and it'll update throughout the round well they updated the scoreboard first and then they went back and showed us oh this just happened. Ludwig Auber, let's see if he makes this putt to win the hole. When, if you were paying
1: attention to the scoreboard, hey Mark, it already Mark quit. I'm sorry, I got to cut you off because we got to get to a break. But hey, great oh, okay. work, man. Appreciate you yeah. joining us. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Chad. Plenty more to get into, including Polly Shore wants to play Richard Simmons, and I, for one, can't wait to see it. That's next. We're back. It's Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton will be back with us on Wednesdays down in Tampa working a charity event for Logan Ryan's Animal Rescue Fund. Hey, you want to get on the action right now? You can do so with PointsBet. Right now, exclusively for first-time PointsBet users, you can grab this unique offer. PointsBet users can get up to $1,000 in second-chance bets If your first bet doesn't go as planned, PointsBet has your back with a second chance. Get this offer by visiting OutKick.com slash bet. Complete the registration process with PointsBet and make your first bet. If your first bet happens to lose, that's when the second chance bet comes into play. Remember, terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Head to OutKick.com slash bet. Monday Night Football tonight. Seahawks, Giants. Davey, we're gonna let you give your bet first on this game.
0: Chad, I've I've been big on the receivers as of late. I mean it's it's not a, a show that I'm on if a Puka Nakua doesn't get a mention, but he did he did Absolutely, cash that over over the weekend. Uh, I,
1: I was thinking about you. I saw him even interviewed after the game, and I am thinking here is Davies, rookie of the year. Yes,
0: yes, he is. But uh, the wide receiver I am putting money on scoring an anytime touchdown tonight is DK Metcalf. Got that at plus one forty five. I, I think it's one of those games where we're actually going to get a good Monday night game. It's not going to be one where we get a blowout one way or another. And I expect to see DK uh, get a couple of red zone opportunities, and he's going to pull one down and obviously get that anytime touchdown.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a really good game, too. I love home underdogs. Give me Giants' money line tonight in this game at MetLife yeah. Stadium. Don't need
0: to remind you of Daniel Jones' record in primetime games.
1: It's not good. I know that. Yeah. He does not like nightfall, does not like moonlight, that Daniel Jones. <laughs> what is it? He's
0: 1-12. Okay. 2-12. So.
1: Daniel Jones okay. gets to 2-12 and 12 tonight. Give me the Giants' money line in this one. So I saw this tweet last week. I think it may have been a Facebook post. I don't even know why I was on Facebook. I haven't been on there in years, but apparently I was. And I saw that Pauly Shore, and I had to double check to make sure this wasn't fake, is trying to play Richard Simmons in a biopic. And when I saw this, I thought, and, and here it is, he posted, I've noticed all the reactions to me playing Richard Simmons in a new biopic. So I reached out to him. I heard he's living deep in Big Bear. We've been playing phone tag. Yes, he still has a phone. I'm trying to make it happen for you guys. Be optimistic. In the meantime, hit up Hulu, Amazon, Disney, HBO, and all the big producers. I definitely can morph into this guy. I'll see you at the Academy Awards 2025. Now, it sounds funny, you know, right? It sounds almost like a joke. But then I started thinking, Man, Polly Shore probably could morph into Richard Simmons. And anytime you have to just outwardly petition the big studios and streamers on social media—probably not a great place to start if you're trying to get a movie made. But maybe, just maybe, he can pull this off, Davey. Maybe, and I mean, what
0: the 1990s were? Pauly Shore's go-to time. It's—it's it's one of those things. I was pulling up his IMDb page because I have trying to think of the last thing I've seen him in in maybe the last 10 to 15 years, and I—I I don't recognize any of these projects that he's I worked that he's on. he's done anything in he, the last 10 to 15 years. A lot of years. this stuff looks like he's uh, doing voice work and it's more cartoon type stuff. But, I mean, the guy, well, speaking of which, I mean, the, the Goofy movie was where I first learned of Pauly Shore as a kid. But yeah, I mean, I loved Paul back in the day. I don't know if he can pull this off. Like, it, it, He's not, no offense, but he's not a great actor. He's just very typecast. So seeing him having to play an actual person and embody that I'm a little hesitant. Now, would I watch it? Yeah, I'd, I'd check it out. But, man,
1: that's going to be a tough sell. Well, I didn't think Brendan Fraser was a good actor either uh, in all of his roles. And then, you know, he got fat and won an Oscar uh, the, most recently. So, look, it can happen. But it can happen for anyone. Can. But I just look at that, the, the last picture of Polly Shore now, and especially where he's next to Richard Simmons, and I'm thinking physically he could play the role. Now, would Richard Simmons' life be worthy of an Oscar performance (laughs) from the actor? I I don't know. Maybe. Um, Either way, I want to watch. Get the right writing team involved. Get the right network involved or streaming service, and maybe he can pull this off. I started watching last night Reptile, this movie on Netflix with Justin Timberlake. Benicio Del Toro. Benicio Del Toro's in it. Uh, Alicia Silverstone. I think is also in it. That's a, Speaking of the 90s, I think Polly Shore and Alicia Silverstone were at their height together at the same time, right around 1994. I want to say they probably reached their apex of their careers at so- the same time. Sounds like the year Son-in-Law came out. Yeah, Son-in-Law, uh, In the Army Now was another, I think, Polly Ooh, Shore movie. 93 for Son-in-Law. Alicia Silverstone, though, was great in a couple of Aerosmith music videos. Uh, Clueless, mm-hmm. obviously, was her big role, 1995. I want to say for Clueless. Paul Rudd's start in that movie also. Anyway, I wanted to work in one segment of the show where we talked about Polly Shore and Alicia Silverstone at the same time. <laughs> but I'm watching Reptile now, and I noticed I, I made it about 12 minutes in last night before falling asleep. Not because the movie's bad. It's actually interesting. I just yeah. get really tired at a certain time of night. But uh, Alicia Silverstone popped on the screen, I believe, married to Benicio Del Toro in the mm, film. Okay. So I'm hooked. I'm in. I'm in on Reptile now. Um, and I'm also in on Polly Shore, as Richard as Richard Simmons. So Dan Dockich is apparently out on uh, Rodney Harrison having a job, is what I hear from Don't At Me. I was I guest on Don't At Me today. Dan always has strong takes, does a great show. I didn't even know this was a controversy until someone brought it up during the studio that Dan was all fired up about Rodney Harrison in a question. Davey, that he asked Chris Jones post game. Is that correct?
0: That That is correct. On last night, Sunday night, or football night in America, Rodney Harrison was interviewing Chris Jones at the studio desk out there on the field, and uh, we got audio of what Rodney was asking Chris.
2: Was Zach Tonight than what you anticipated he would be watching him on tape and you can be honest. Um, honestly, yeah. uh, if I'm being completely honest, we knew it was going to be a battle. He's continuing to get better week in and week out, and he's continuing to lead week in and week out. But watching that tape, man, you got to look at this dude and say, like, oh, he is garbage. Like we should, we should really tear him apart earlier. Yeah. Like I said, Zach Wilson is special, man. You just got to give the guy time. You know what wait, I mean? Wait, 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 wait. Did you say Zach Wilson is special? Yeah. I think he had a special night, but I don't think he's special. I've got to prove that over. You're special because you proved it over a course of time. (laughs) He's not special. I'm just saying, Chris. Hey, listen. I'm just saying.
1: I've got no issue with anything that he said right there. I mean, to say Zach Wilson is special, uh, I kind of commend Rodney Harrison for speaking up and calling BS on that. He's not special. We talked about Lou Holtz always going over the top with the opponent, talking about how great they were until it was Ryan Day, obviously, and uh, Ohio State had not not many good things to say about him. But there's nothing wrong with what Rodney Harrison said right there. He's trying to get an honest response out of him. If you watch film on Zach Wilson and you're Chris Jones, you're seeing some trash film based on the last few games. There's nothing wrong with what he said during that soundbite. Do you think the am weight- I missing something? it might have been the pr- the approach.
0: He's constantly I get you're trying to get I mean, an he's answer incredibly go-
1: unlikable. like I, I I've never liked Rodney Harrison. I once watched Rodney Harrison uh, with P k in the desert at a Super Bowl, curse him out for putting a cam putting a phone up, take a photo of him on Radio Row. So I mean, I get that Rodney Harrison can be unlikable, but I mean, Chris Jones honestly said this guy's special. Or was he being sarcastic when he said that? He seemed to be pretty genuine. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that or what he said. The, the only thing I would say
0: is he just kept at it. And I think that uh, now uh, Jets coach Robert Sala did address this. He said that Rodney ended up calling Zach this morning and apologized for the incident. Is this an incident worth apologizing for, Chad?
1: No, not at all. And look, Zach Wilson's got bigger problems than this. Zach Wilson last night for the first time, Chris Collinsworth on the broadcast said it best, said the guy's playing quarterback. He looks like an NFL quarterback. There were a couple of drives where he was great. That's his best performance as a Jet, but it ended with him fumbling a snap. And that ended up losing the game for the Jets. So we have to bring that point up also. He seemed to handle it right. He apologized to his team. But if I'm Zach Wilson and I hear that, All you can say is, back to Rodney Harrison, yeah, my film hasn't been good the last couple of games. I had a good night. He did have a special night. Maybe that leads to something else, but I mean, Rodney Harrison's calling it like he sees it in that one. Do you think part of this conversation is because,
0: for once, now I I find myself falling into this camp, but I actually felt bad for Zach Wilson last night. And it was like, maybe the first time I've I've felt that way towards him as a, a player because he's putting together a really good performance, and I after they panned to him on the sidelines after the fumble had occurred, he's saying, it's my fault. I'm the reason we lost. And I think a lot of people just kind of resonated with him in that moment of being like, you can tell this actually means a lot to him. And it's not a situation where, I don't know, they would take like Chase Claypool, for example, not putting forth the effort, and he's not with his team right now for a reason. I just think with Zach, in that moment, you saw uh, the the personal matter actually impact you. And so a lot of people are coming to his defense because of that.
1: Yeah, I felt bad for him watching him on the sideline and just the way that game ended because he did play well. And they were down 17 nothing like that. And he got the Jets back in it. And uh, Jets' defense was playing hard. So it sucks to lose the game that way. But Zach Wilson is an 80s movie villain. Let's face it. The guy is Johnny Lawrence if we're talking Karate Kid back in the 80s. That's what he looks like. That's kind of the demeanor that he puts off at times. There was this sense, though, last night, Davey, that he sort of morphed into Johnny Lawrence from Cobra Kai, where suddenly he's the sympathetic figure and someone you have empathy for and you're not rooting against. He's not straight villain. You feel bad for him. I I can see that. There There was a change happening over the course of that game from Zach Wilson as Johnny Lawrence, 80s high school movie villain, take your girl type of guy, especially your mom. The change from that to Johnny Lawrence, Cobra Kai, Johnny Lawrence on Netflix?
0: Maybe that happened. After last night's performance, do you envision the Jets sticking with this guy for the rest of the year? Do you think he's able to turn it around enough to where they're able to just finish out the season with him? Or are you expecting Trevor Simeon, another guy to get called up? Where do you see this going for the I think even more
1: he's the guy now. I mean, if Robert Sala wasn't going to remove him after the last game and the game before that, He's he's gonna roll with them now. He actually showed signs of life last night for the first time. He showed some some impact within the offense for the first time. So yeah, I, I think I think he probably sticks around. And I don't know that you're gonna do much better other than just changing it up, right? I mean, yeah. um, I think the way they're cash strapped also. Like I think about it, like Kyler Murray. Right, if Kyler Murray got healthy and decided to play, is he better than Zach Wilson? Yes. Can they make it work based on Aaron Rodgers coming back next year and what they've committed to this team already? I I don't I'm not a capologist, I don't know. But it feels like now at one and three, I, I just think you roll with them yeah. and hope for the best, well, right?
0: I mean, the other conversation had been about trading for a veteran that's on the last year of their deal, like Kirk Cousins with the Vikings, yeah. Ryan Tannehill with the Titans. And again, I mean, we talked about the AFC South and how they're all knotted up, so it's anyone's division at this point. Vikings were able to get their first win yesterday. I I don't see those options being there for the Jets, but as as far as the other teams being willing to work with them, but again, we still got a long way to go until we hit that trade deadline. So anything is possible. And the Jets at one and three really can only take one or two more losses, and then you're like, they're for sure out of that playoff contention.
1: Yeah, I think, Based on last night's performance, the best hope for the Jets is that Zach Wilson, who almost beat the Chiefs, is that Zach Wilson plays like that minus the huge mistake at the end of the game. I mean, he fumbled the snap because his eyes are up not looking at the snap. Just little bitty things that are huge. Good NFL quarterbacks don't do that. Mediocre NFL quarterbacks don't make that play late in the game. But before that, he played like a good NFL quarterback. Well, he was out
0: playing Patrick Mahomes yeah, for a majority of the Yeah, step in the right the direction.
1: Now, I give all that credit to the Jets' defense. That's terrific. And really got after Mahomes in that game. But maybe there's some hope now. That division's not going to make it easy on him, other than the Patriots, who look god-awful at this point. But we'll see. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, he can play more like that and less like the guy we saw the last couple of weeks and be a little bit more sympathetic like cobra kai johnny lawrence as opposed to karate kid johnny lawrence sweep the leg johnny sweep the leg always sweep the leg no mercy no mercy will be shown on tomorrow's show we're gonna get after it we're gonna bang hats we're gonna have some fun when you're here your family hopefully that's not trademarked we're back at it tomorrow this is hot mike with hutton and withrow